And it's all made in the permanence of metal, Isaiah's vision. And again, these have to be metaphors because John in Revelation sees the city made all of precious stone. But the idea, the, the permanence of metal and the amazing beauty of precious and semi-precious stonework. It's going to be a city that we recognize. We can use this language, but it's going to be more than what we live here. And in both Isaiah and Revelation, the nations of the earth bring their wealth and honor into the city. The distinct nations with their specialty items, the things that they're especially good at doing and producing, bring their particular wealth and honor into the city. We've got camels from Midian, which is modern-day Arabia. We've got other camels from Sheba, which is modern-day Yemen, carrying gold and frankincense and no doubt other spices and riches into this remade Jerusalem. It's what they're known for. It's what they're good at. We've got woodwork and lumber from Lebanon. It's what they're world famous for. If you want really good woodwork, you talk to a Lebanese person in the ancient world, right? We've got rams and sheep and flocks from, and this one I need to look at, Kedar and Nebioth, right? They're sort of the Angora goats of the ancient world, right? It's the, the, the prime, if you want an amazing piece of cloth, you get apparently rams and goats from Nebioth, right? They're bringing the things that they're known for, that they're good at, that are glories, that are their honor for their nation, and they're bringing it into the city because in the city there is light. In the city is the presence of God. In the city is this intimacy and presence of God with his people. There's darkness anywhere else, but there's light in the city, and so each of these nations, each of these cultures, drawn to the light of God himself, bring gladly, bring in the good news of God's salvation and bringing their handiwork in honor and praise of God who made them and this place. See, in this city are all things of earth made new and, and made as they could have been if sin had not intervened and lessened and broken and bent what we otherwise could have done. The Garden of Eden was not a static place of perfection. Don't move that leaf. It's in the perfect place it needs to be forever. No, no, no. Adam and Eve are put in the garden to tend it and to keep it and to work it and to do stuff with it, which we have continued to do even under sin with frustration, but we've done stuff that's beautiful, that's good, and there's a goodness that we've been able to touch and taste and feel and absorb, even under the conditions of sin, that's a little foretaste of the goodness and joy we will have with these things, even in the earth made new. Because it will all be done with God in his light. And so what would it be to do our art and music without a shred of frustration? What would it be like to architect and account and everything else that we do 
and just enjoy it without the thorns and thistles that grow up. To not just try to garden, but actually bring life abundantly, right? Our future is living in the light of God fully and enjoying the culture of the nations in their distinctiveness. And yes, some things will not be there. Swords are turned into plowshares. Spears are turned into pruning hooks. Even under our conditions of sin, there are people who are part of the kingdom of God who are turning guns into garden tools. There are some things that will not be in the city. There will be no violence. There will be no hurt. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord of hosts. But lots of other things really will be there. And so, if there can be rams of Nebioth, why not poems of Persia? Why not bread of Germany? Why not the dancing of Colombia? Why not the deep love of nature in our Costa Rican friends? Right? Why not Korean sundubu? It's a delicious soup, by the way. For any of you who haven't tried it, go find a Korean restaurant. Enjoy. You're welcome. Why should we not expect that there will be some of these things that are awesome here, or at least something that when we taste it there, we think, ah, what was good about Sundubu on earth, that's, this is what I was sort of beginning to taste when I had the best bowl of Sundubu on earth. This is what that was pointing to. It's the completion of what that was the beginning of. There's a place at the end of The Last Battle, C.S. Lewis's book, the last part of Chronicles of Narnia, where one of the characters says, they realize that, that some things there are, are like things that they experienced on Earth. And one of the characters says, I think the reason we enjoyed home so much is because it was a little bit like this. Japanese gardens, Scythian horseback riding. I mean, I want to meet, meet some Scythians. That'd be awesome. Inca terracing. I mean, it, I've only seen pictures of Machu Picchu, and like, it's amazing. I mean, how amazing to have whatever the perfection of that and enjoy it with the people who brought it into being forever. As John Proctor puts it, the New Jerusalem is the fulfillment of everything in human life as it is turned towards God and into the way of Jesus Christ. What is worthy and true in human culture will be completed and glorified, not tossed aside. God's purposes in human diversity and culture end not in waste, but in wholeness and beauty. So the good news of God's redemption is that God can take and make all things new. Through Jesus, even the stuff of earth. And this is where J.R.R. Tolkien's story of Niggle helps us. As the story continues, Niggle essentially, it's an allegory, 
goes to heaven and he's riding his bicycle into the country and it's beginning to feel a little familiar like oh yeah the, of course the path would would rise here and then here's this corner and it feels like I, I don't think I've been here but it just it just feels right to me and he's he's biking along and then all of a sudden there's as he says a shadow between him and the sun and he looks up and there's the tree there's the tree that he he had pictured in his mind, or at least how he would have pictured it if he had taken more time to picture. It's, it's all there. Some of the very leaves that he had painted are there on the tree, and there's other leaves that he had sort of imagined but hadn't quite gotten around to, to painting, and, and others he would have thought of, if again, if he had had the time. And the birds are there, and it's amazing. And then beyond, are, there's the mountains and the river, and he literally, he falls off his bicycle and just looks at this tree. And all he says at that moment is simply, oh, it's a gift. To which Tolkien, just to make sure we get it, explicitly says right there that Niggle means this both in regard to the tree and in regard to his own gift, abilities as an artist. And means in that word, means that word gift in in the most literal way possible, recognizing both the gift of this tree here and thanks to God for the gift of his own artistry in being able to taste it before he saw it in full in the new heavens and the new earth. And so here's where we're going with this. It's so easy, I think, for us as believers to think like, oh yeah, this, this thing I do that I find joy in, it's sort of over here, and then my, my life with Jesus is here. And by all means, let us be to our prayers. Let's invest in a life of prayer and intimacy with Jesus. Come to the light. Invest in a life of scripture. Invest in being part of Christian community. There are spiritual practices that are absolutely helpful and, and indeed necessary if we're going to Come into the light of Jesus. But consider that you finding joy in these other things is not an accident. Take some discernment sometimes, care that the thing that you're finding joy in isn't a destructive thing. We can find pleasure in sin, but assuming it's just things... These two are gifts of God. And there's something in anime that is deeply good and is right to be enjoyed. There's something in any different form of music. There's something in gardening. There's something in skiing. There's something in absolutely cooking. I mean, come on, feasting in the kingdom? That's central. There's every single one of these things, trail running and on and on, that is deeply good and gives us a taste and experience on this side of the fullness that awaits us there. So enjoy. Go for it. Not at the neglect of a life with Jesus. Bring those things into the light. And see, this is the place where John sees a little bit further than Isaiah. Isaiah sees the light in the city is, is the light of God. God is the light of the city. John sees a little more clearly. The light of the city is the Lamb. 
the burning furnace of joy in the city is Jesus and his life and death and resurrection for us. But in his light, all other things become new. Amen. Which, watch the segue, is what we get to experience with the supper, right? I mean, it's just bread and crackers. It's just juice or wine? Juice. That's okay. We do juice, too. It, but it's, it's just stuff. And yet by... Jesus' word of promise, as we receive these things in faith, they become for us a sharing in his life and death, a new life, new resurrected life for us. These things become more than they started out as. Again, as we take take them, trusting Jesus' word of promise, And so in a few minutes when we come up, in a few minutes I'll invite you to to come forward and uh, receive crackers. They are gluten-free. They have nuts, by the way. If you need that, I have a special, special special basket. But as you come forward and receive the bread and the juice, and then we'll return and take that, we receive more, again, than bread and juice. We receive Jesus' work for us. Because on that night that Jesus was betrayed, things looked bad and were about to get worse. But on that night, Jesus knew exactly what was going to be coming his way. And in that very situation, bad trending worse, Jesus made sure his friends would receive what they would need, nourishment for the journey. He took bread gave thanks, and broke it, and he gave it to his friend, saying, take, eat, all of you. This is my body, now broken for you. Do this, remembering me. And likewise, Luke tells us it was the the final cup of the, the four during the Passover meal. That final cup, he again, gave thanks and gave it to his friends, saying, take, drink, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant, now sealed in my blood. Drink, all of you. And the promise that the Apostle Paul gives us is that every time, every single time that we take this bread and drink this cup, we celebrate the Lord's death. Until he comes again to make all things new. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Please join me in prayer.
your word of promise to us, Lord Jesus, was every time we eat this bread, drink this cup, this is your body, your blood. Your life given to us in our place and now for us, to us. And so we simply pray, Holy Spirit, come on these, the gifts of Jesus to us, his people, that as we receive this bread and this cup, trusting him, that you would make these a true sharing in his work, his finished work, on our behalf. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. I would invite you now to, uh, to come forward. And again, uh, crackers, bread, and cup here, likewise on this side. If you do need the complete separation of gluten, or if you have a nut allergy, um, again, extra special basket. But come forward, take the elements, and then return to your seats, and we'll, uh, we'll take, these, take these together. I would ask you to hold the bread and hold the cup, um, and we'll, we'll take them with some further instruction. The gifts of God for the people of God. custom is to eat the bread separately and drink the cup together, but we change it up. We won't tell Travis. 
But because part of the symbolism of the bread is the unity of the body of Christ, there's an ancient Christian um, communion liturgy from probably the late first century that talks about just as the wheat grew all up and down the hills, but then is, is milled and brought together in this loaf. So we are brought together to be part of the body of Christ. And so let's actually take the bread together to remind ourselves that we're all part of one body, the bread of heaven. But we all come into the presence of God with our own gifts and skills and interests and background, but we also come into the presence of God with our own particular sin and shame and brokenness and hurt and longing. And so Jesus meets us where each of us is at, in our particular story, in our particular needs. And so take this cup, take a minute or two of silence, longer if you need, but take a little bit of silence just thanking God that he meets you, forgives your sin, takes your shame, your sin and shame, meets your need through his death. So whenever you feel like you've done your work with Jesus, take this cup, Lord's blood shed for you.